today as we conclude this message, we said several things about Galatians that I think we have to keep in mind as we dive into the scripture. And that is, the first thing we said is that the four first chapters dealt with thinking right, while the last two deal with living well. So the first four chapters, Paul was trying to get us to think right about the gospel. This is what the gospel is, this is what the true gospel is, and therefore as we think rightly, then we live well into it. And the last two chapters talk about the practice of those who live by faith. We live by faith, therefore because we put our faith in Jesus, there are certain things that take place, certain things that we do, certain things that we don't do, simply because we're in relationship with him, and every good, healthy relationship has boundaries. Now the boundaries that are not that are set are not set for slavery or for bondage, but rather boundaries that are set for freedom's sake, right? Boundaries that are set for, for freedom's sake. And so we talked about that. We said that all who are in Jesus, all who have put their faith in Jesus, repented of their sins, have made a commitment to follow him, all of us are new creations in Jesus, which means that God's promises are for us. And we should be happy about it, right? Okay, because through his promises, we, we have it, it's his blessing, it's his favor, it's his peace, it's his provision, and through it, we go to war. You're supposed to go to war as a believer, right? As a believer, you're going to have all kinds of attacks, spiritually, emotionally, relationally. We're just going to go through life. The blessing that we have is that we get to go through life with the promises of God. They're ours to hold on to, and so we made much about, hey, maybe you should get a Bible, Something to consider is get a Bible that we can read. We need to know the promises of God, memorize them, uh, so that we will be able to stand on God's word. We also said that as Christians, we have to learn to stop comparing and start restoring. Right? We got to stop comparing and we got to start restoring. So, uh, a lot of the problems that we find in the Christian life is that we, we compare ourselves to others, whether for the good or for the bad, right? But we say, well, I'm not so bad because look at so-and-so. That person's really bad, so I must be okay. Or we say, man, I must be really bad because I can't keep up with such and such. And both of that, all of that is bad. What God requires is that we would su- submit to his word, his revelation, and we say yes to his lead. Everybody's at a different place. And also when it comes to when somebody, somebody falling short or making a mistake or missing the mark, the Bible says with tenderness addressing them, with gentleness, so that our whole, our, our whole intention when we deal with a brother or a sister is to make sure that we try at all costs to bring restoration, not to bring division, right? So we will pick up Galatians chapter 6, 6 through 10, which is the last verses that we didn't get into last week. Um, We got through the latter portion in the very beginning, but not that middle portion. And we believe, uh, I believe that this strongly identifies what we believe we're about. We say here at The Rock that we want to pray strategically, number one. So every month you have a new prayer focus, right? We're praying for the nation of Israel. We're asking for God to bring salvation over that land. We're praying for the worship team and Pastor Laura's leadership. We're asking for God to give her creativity and wisdom and direction and unity. God will pour out his spirit over the worship team. as they, They're a blessing to us, right? Aren't we thankful for them? 
And we just had new worship leaders lead on Wednesday. They did a phenomenal job. I just can't wait to see what God's going to do here at The Rock as God continues to uh, build that team and make it stronger. But, you know, we're praying for those things. So we have a strategic prayer. We're, we're trying to pray strategically to make sure that we're together in unity praying for the same thing. Se- second, we said we, said we want to be about serving intentionally. I don't want to just w- coincidentally serve. I want to be about serving the people of God. We want to learn to serve each other here in the house. We want to learn to serve in our community. We want to learn to serve in our respective workplaces. That's why we pray at, uh, at, at the different schools within our area. Um, and, and that's why we get involved with the YMCA and do all the different things that we're doing, trying to be in Fountain Square because we're trying to be of service and a blessing. And then last, we said we want to give generously. We want to be a people who are marked by generosity. So we give towards the missions and missionaries. We have a 5K where we raise funds to go directly straight to whatever ministry or whatever nonprofit organization we're raising funds for. We want to be a blessing. And we know that that's what God's called us to do. And I believe that Galatians chapter 6, 6 through 10 addresses that last part, which is how to live a life that is generously surrendered to God and to each other. How to, how to be givers for the kingdom. I want, if anything, I want to be a giver for the kingdom of God. I want to I be all out. I want all my chips to be in on the kingdom of God. So, but before we dive into uh, what it means to be a giver and to spend ourselves for the kingdom of God, and again, what is it, when I say giver, I mean giving your, of your time, giving of your energy, giving of your resources and your finances to the kingdom of God, giving yourself to the purposes of God. When we go into that, I want to just give you something that we need to address. There's a, there's a sickness that roams around from time to time in churches. It's like a flu. It's like a bug. And it's called the hour and a half sickness. Okay? It's the hour and a half sickness. I was talking to a friend of mine. He says, man, I don't know how to deal with some people. Some people really get on my nerves. Right? It's like, well, what are you talking about? So, you know, I, I just was talking to a good friend of mine. He said he found a new church in his home state where he lives, and I was just excited for him. And I was like, tell me about your home church. Tell me about how God's speaking to you. Tell me about what God's doing. And he, the only thing he was able to say to me, it's like, well, I like my church because they get me in and out in an hour and a half. They get me in and out in an hour and a half. Now, I want you to hear me. I'm not making an excuse for being long-winded sometimes. Sometimes I'm just long-winded, okay? But don't amen me right now, okay? Robert, I see you. Don't be laughing at me. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with an hour and a half service. But there's something wrong with that statement. Right? The statement is, I like my church because they get me in in an hour and a half. And without us knowing what we're doing is we're being sedated to this idea that all our spiritual formation and all our spiritual growth and all of the spiritual revival that we need in our lives can happen in an hour and a half. And in doing so, we're not awakening to the fact that we hunger and thirst for a relationship with God and with each other. Not awakening to the fact that we're not growing in our faith. Not awakening to the fact that we're losing our families. By the time our kids graduate from school, they get twenty to 30,000 hours of human, uh, 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 secular humanism. And we think that if they get spiritual for- formation for an hour and a half, it's good enough. We're losing our families to the world. 
We're losing our opportunity to grow in intimacy with God and each other, and we're missing out on embracing God's destiny for our lives when we embrace this idea, well, I like my church because they get me in and out in an hour and a half. As a matter of fact, this message is going to be for those who are saying, I am ready for my life to be about Jesus 100%. And I'm not saying that that necessarily needs to take place here at this home ground. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But I am saying that today this message is for the person who says, I am ready to give my life fully to the service of the kingdom of God, whatever that may look like. And so because we're talking about surrendering to God fully, this message is going to be uncomfortable. Right? Because when God calls us to follow him, no one is comfortable. Not me, not you. There are things that God tries to, you know, begins to point out in our lives as he says, okay, you're following me, let's deal with that. I share with you sometimes, you know, that happens in the middle of worship. We think we're in that holy of holies. We're in that sweet place where we get the goosebumps and God's moving and we're speaking in tongues. And then Jesus is like, great, so awesome. Obey me in this. And you're like, oh. God, I was in, the, I was in a good place. <laughs> I rebuked that. Where did that come from? The Holy Ghost. That's what that came from. Right? I am talking about following Jesus into deep places. Where our lives no longer are ours, but they're his. I am talking about today about saying, I say yes to the cross and yes to eternal life. And I am saying that as you hear this message, I want you to listen to this and say, Holy Spirit, I want to grab onto what you have to say and only what you have to say. Galatians chapter 6, 6 through 10 reads this way. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Some translations read like this. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to just one or two or three people. Let us do good to those people that we like. Let us do good to the neighbor that lends us the, the equipment that we need. Let us do good to, that's not a good translation. But sometimes we live it that way. I'm going to walk away from that one. Monique, that was just too loud, okay? All right, so <laughs> I agree with you, sister. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Thank you for your word. Communicate it today. Move in power. Move through us for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Paul is now instructing the church again on how they're supposed to live life. And he gets into this place where the church has to understand or he wants to lead the church to kind of live their lives in a very generous way. And he says to them that the church is called to share all good things. And the word, the key word there, share, is koinonia, known as koinonia, where the koinoneo. 
And that word basically means to be in communion with, to be in partnership with, to invest one life into another and let that person invest their lives into you. When God says in Revelations, he says, I knock at the door. Whoever answers the door, I will come in and dine with them. He's not just saying I'm going to eat dinner with you. He's saying I will become one with you. Right, So the whole idea it, when we have communion is we're becoming one with God and we're becoming one with the believers. And so what God is saying, the way that we're supposed to do Christian life, the way that we're supposed to follow Jesus is to do life with other believers and become one with them and share all good things. And here particularly, Paul is instructing them, be a blessing to your leaders. Be a blessing to those who teach you the word of God. Be a blessing to those who are your pastors. Bless them financially. Bless them with an encouraging word. Bless them with the resources that God has given you. And this is very consistent with the way that Paul speaks to the church over and over again, right? He says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, the elders and pastors who direct the affairs of the church are worthy of double honor, especially those who work in preaching and teaching. For scripture says, do not muscle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. And again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14, Paul says, in the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So Paul is trying to instruct the people of Galatia to be givers and to be a blessing to their leaders. Why? Number one, because Galatia was going through some time where false teachers were coming in, right? And there were good teachers who stood the ground and preached the truth. Right? And he says, you got to honor those people who are preaching the truth. There's a lot of false teaching going around in today's culture. We have to be mindful to bless those who are being a blessing to us. Number two, because Paul cares for a fancy religious way of saying sound doctrine. What does sound doctrine mean? Paul cares for the truth being preached. That really matters. And he knew that a time would come where the truth was going to be compromised, when the truth was going to be slimed. And he wanted the church to uphold those who taught the truth. So what does that mean? What, what, what is Paul saying then to the church in relations to all this? It means this. Paul wants us to value the authority that God's placed over our lives. And Paul wants us to value the contribution that we can make into the kingdom of God. Let's just pause there for a minute. Today, there are two errors that if you and I are going to be fully devoted to Jesus, we cannot make. Number one. We cannot make the error of just trusting leadership blindly. Anybody with me today? Right? We live in a day where we, can, we cannot just trust leadership blindly. We cannot just receive what people are saying. We've got to see the fruit of their lives. Right? We've got to see what's coming out of their lives, what's coming out of their ministry, what are they really saying. This is line up to Scripture. We can't make the error of just accepting what people say blindly because then we will be drinking some Kool-Aid. And the ending is not so nice. Right? But at the same time, I fear that most of our culture has swung the other direction and they have rebelled against authority altogether. And we celebrate things that sound good and have some truth in it, but they're really lacking. We say things like, only God can judge me. That means I'm not accountable to anyone. We say things like, I don't put my eyes on men because man is going to fail me, so I don't, I don't trust man. That means I'm not walking in fellowship or in communion with anyone. Right? We say things like, I don't need anyone to instruct me in anything. The Holy Ghost is my teacher. I just do what the Holy Ghost tells me to do. These teachers aren't equipped anyway. And that means I have no authority in my life. 
And that is very dangerous grounds. And I'm going to say it. And I'm telling you this, if you decide to go to another church, if the Lord called you to be a part of another movement or not, I just want you to grow and be healthy, no matter where God called you to be. But you and I need to be under authority. What does that mean? We need to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And we need to say, Lord, where, who have you called me to mentor my life, to shepherd my life? Who have you called to be a blessing to me, to help me grow in that which you've called me to do? Because a good shepherd's only going to cheer you to do exactly what God's called you to do and equip you and encourage you to run the course. Paul wanted the church to value their leaders. And second, Paul wanted the church to value their contribution. Their contribution matter. So in doing so, the church would grow. Why? Because number one, in teaching the truth, we partner with the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of truth, and the church is strengthened. And secondly, because in serving, we, in serving well, we become like Jesus, and the church is strengthened. And because in giving, if we give, and we give well, and we become generous, then we become like the Father, who gave us one and only Son, his very prized possession, and therefore the church is strengthened. There is no church without teaching the truth, without serving like Jesus, and giving like the Father. And this is what God wants us to be. He looks at Carlos, he looks at Greg, he looks at Tony, and he says, I want you to give like me, I want you to serve like me, and I want you to teach like me. That's what he says. That is God's formula for our spiritual formation. We have to value what God has put in our hands to give and value the opportunities that God has given us to serve. Our continued growth in our giving and in our serving means that we are becoming like Jesus. Now, Paul is aware of the fact that we tend to gloss over some of the more difficult things of the walk of the faith, such as giving and serving. And he continues by saying the following about giving and serving. He says, first, hey, you know, everything when you're blessed and, and God gives you all these resources and all these finances, do good. Do good. Be a blessing. And by the way, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. God sees all things. Verse 7 says this, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Paul is telling us this, we can't fool God. He's basically saying, and if in your attempt to try to fool God, you may fool others. Others may be convinced that you are something that you're not. But the reality of the matter, the only person who's being deceived is you. And you're giving yourself to your own lies and to your own deception. You ever met somebody who believed their own lie? Don't say amen too loud, right? Anybody? Anybody? Now let me ask you another question. Have you ever fallen into believing your own lie? Okay, we're going to leave that one alone. Praise God for the Holy Spirit that comes in and says, hey, that's deception. I want to deal with that in your heart. Anybody thankful for the Holy Ghost today? Right? Yeah. God says, you're not deceiving God. God cannot be mocked. He knows the intentions of your hearts. He knows the attitude of your heart. He knows the complaining. He knows what's going on in your heart. God cannot be mocked. The only person who is being deceived or who would be deceived is God. It's, it's yourself, not God. So therefore, whatever you Whatever you sow is what you reap. If you sow or if you invest into the things of this world and into the things of this flesh, then you're going to get corruption. It's going to be eaten away. 
But if you sow into the things of the kingdom, into the things that matter to God, then you're going to reap joy and contentment in the things related to eternal life. So there's two banks, right? There's two banks, and we have to make a decision to put ourselves to invest in that which matters to the kingdom of God. Now, as we continue, the Bible also makes clear that whatever we give ourselves to financially and our strength and our time, whatever we give ourselves to has the power to corrupt us or lead us to life. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Don't store up your treasure on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me ask you a question looking at that scripture. Where's your heart at? I know exactly where your heart is at, and I know exactly where my heart is at. My heart is where my treasure is. That's the truth for all of us. Whatever I'm investing myself into, that's where my heart really, really is. Now, I can preach a good word. I can sing a good song. I can speak in tongues with the best of them. I can prophesy with the brethren. But at the core of all that, my heart is seated at the place where my investment is. Right? That's the truth. And what I learn as I follow Jesus is that, you know, it is a walk of faith. There's new things, you know, the Lord gives me opportunity to give to and to give my strength into. And a lot of times when I follow the Lord, a lot of the things he calls me to give, they're not comfortable things, you know. He calls me to give things that, you know, make me a little bit uncomfortable. They're sacrificial. Sometimes he calls me to serve in a place where I don't feel equipped, you know, and to give my time in a place where I feel like, you know, I don't know if this is going to bear fruit, but he just calls me to go and to believe, right? And so in doing so, I trust him for the fruit instead of trusting myself. So what are the things that hinder us? from pouring ourselves, our lives, our investment into the kingdom of God. What are the common things that hinder us? I, I can tell you the things that hindered me. Can I share that with you? Can I share with you things that I know that hindered me and there are co- things that we share in common? That is this, number one. Number one reason why we, uh, we uh, at times don't sow into the kingdom our lives the way that we should is because it's a sacrifice. And no matter how you like the word sacrifice, something has to like die. Right? In a sacrifice, something is offered. And if something is dead, then that something doesn't belong to you anymore. Something is given, that which you give is no longer yours. Anybody ever give you a gift and then tell you how you're supposed to use that gift? It's like, dude, this is my gift. You got to give it to me or you're going to take it. What's the deal? You know, I remember somebody sold me a car and they're like, oh, yeah, I mean, this car is good. It's just need some TLC, just need some TLC, you know, some tender loving care. You got to do this, you got to go in there, you're going to do this, you're going to do this with the oil, you got to do this, you got to do this. Like, bro, it's my car. I just paid it, you signed the title, <laughs> right? It's like, this is my car. Sometimes some people give gifts and they give, you know, they want you to fulfill certain expectations. I don't like those gifts. Those gifts are traps. Anybody with me? And when the Lord sometimes he says, I want you to give it to me and just trust me. And we want to say yes, but we also say no. Right? Right? Why? Because it's a sacrifice, and it takes self-denial to give and to serve as God calls us to give. 
Another reason why at times we don't sow our lives into the kingdom as we should is because we fear missing out. If I give this, if I give this, what's going to happen with this? Lord, if I put this in the offering, I see value meal number two, Dave's double with a large fry. It's, I can't have that if I give into this. This is a vain example, but it's very real. Your pastor loves Dave's doubles. That's, that's just the truth, okay? Judge me if you want. But, you know, uh, when we give, we fear missing out. If I give this, you know, am I going to put myself in a dangerous, precarious situation? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And God spoke to me in, in that scripture. He says this, look, you try to give a little because you think if you give a little, you're being wise because you're protecting what's yours. But when I call you in faith to give what I call you to give, whether it be your time, your resources, or your finances, and you give yourself generously, I will give generously to supply according to your needs. I can take care of you. And the reason why I am calling you to be a giver is because this is the one major way that I can help you, that I can make you depend on me as opposed to you depending on yourself. You know, we can go to church and do all the right things and have all the right memberships and have all the right doctrine, but if we're not givers, we're not like Jesus. It's just the way it is. We're not like Jesus. It says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. In other words, your pastor's not going to raise another offering. I'm not going to lock the doors and say, nobody's leaving until you give. <laughs> the offering's lifted up. Not interested. But what really matters is the condition of your heart. When the Lord says to you, I want you to give me this. I want you to yield this to me. Now, what does the Bible say? say? When we respond to him, verse 8, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Isn't that good news? You know what I notice is that this is where some people start preaching some stuff that gets ugly, and it's not it's not kingdom-minded. And you've heard people say, if you give God a dollar, next week he'll give you $10. Mm-hmm. You give God a $1,000, and a year from now, this time you're going to get a return of $10,000. Rebuke that. Don't accept that stuff. I share this all the time. Somebody was preaching, like, they had like a, you ever been to church where they have a little sermonette for the, for the, for the offering? And they had like a good 20-minute sermonette just for the offering. Lady said, you're like a 45 in the hand of the Lord. Bang, you're deadly. So you should give a $45 offering. I was like, wait a minute. Something's fishy here. Right? And my friend next to me says, man, I'm so glad she's not preaching on 357s. <laughs> I thought, man, me too. But I don't even have a nine to give. <laughs> Sorry, that's kind of sad. <laughs> but here's the deal. You know what I found in my life? The Lord calls me to give of my resources and my finances, and I give. And you know what? The Lord has returned way better stuff than finances. You know what the Lord has given me in life that no money in the world could ever give to me? Contentment. 
You know what I ask for more this year than I ask for anything else that anything could ever give me? Contentment. Because I have everything that I need. I have everything that I need to be obedient to God right now. God provides. God provides. The third reason why sometimes we don't give of our resources or we give our energy or commit to things for the kingdom of God, what's one of those reasons why we don't do it? Because we grow weary. We grow tired. And we don't see the fruit that we expect. Anybody pour yourself into something and you didn't see the fruit that you expected to see? That happens, right? That really does happen. You know, sometimes we grow weary. And we got to be connected to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to make sure that I'm investing in the right thing. Sometimes some people, some relationships you don't need to be investing into. Listen, sometimes some ministry, some people, some jobs are not worth your time and energy. And you got to, by faith, walk away and say, Lord, I'm walking away from this relationship. Lord, I'm walking away from this job. I'm walking away from this because this is not what you intend for me. Those are steps of faith and the Lord will take care of you. But then there are times where God has called you to do certain things and you grow weary. It's tiring, right? But you got to hold on to the Lord and ask him to strengthen you. So husband, God calls us to love our our wives sacrificially. That's going to be every bit of sacrifice. Same thing to the wives, sacrificially and submission. That's a sacrifice. To lead our children as servants, that's a sacrifice. And the thing is, here is the problem that I have. I, sometimes I want to slap myself. Okay, you don't have to slap me. Sometimes I want to, because every time I hear sacrifice and it's, I got to carry the cross and I got to do this for the kingdom and I got to lead as a servant and I got to, you know, I, do these things and they're going to be hard, but you can do it. Praise God. In my mind, I'm always thinking, but is there a shortcut? Like, I'm, is there a way to, can I, is there a way to get there comfortably? I'm not asking for much. I just want to, I just want to know the cross without the suffering. And the kingdom doesn't work that way. I'm not preaching messages that telling you this is how you can have all of the benefits of heaven without suffering. That's not, that's not a church, that's an occult. In the kingdom, there is sacrifice. So you've got to ask yourself, what are you giving yourself to? Sometimes we grow weary. And more, a lot of times, I grow weary, I don't know about you, because, I'm a, because I sit there and I'm a seed watcher. The Bible uses this example about doing good for the kingdom of God and doing good to all people as as farmers who sow a seed and then they reap the benefit of sowing that seed. And you know, then he uses this word. It's one of the words that I hate when it comes to my spiritual growth in the Lord, my following Jesus. The word is seasons. I'm going to tell you why I hate that word seasons. Because seasons naturally mean, you know, that seasons are going to change. And every year, you get about four seasons here in Ohio. And I like that because there's some change, right? There's some change. But seasons spiritually, some seasons are longer than three months. Anybody with me? It's like, you're going to be free of this addiction in three months. Glory to God. Let's do this. You're going to be free from lust, period, in three months. <laughs> Praise the living God. You know, anger is not going to arrest you anymore, praise God, in three months, just three months. Some seasons, they're long. You're going to invest in this person, and just next week, you're going to see the incredible fruit out of their lives because they're responding to everything you're pouring into them. 
Come on, Jesus. Anybody wants to be a pastor in that church. But it's not the way of the kingdom. Sometimes seasons are like, I don't even want to put a year on it. So I don't want, but they're longer than three months. Anybody a witness today? They're longer. But this is what we do. Oh, I love this brother. I know that God has a plan in his life. But right now he's rebellious and he doesn't know the Lord. But I want to love on him. I want to put this seed in him and say, Jesus loves you. I'm going to water it. And then I'm going to watch him. I know it's been two days, nothing's happening, but I know he's going to be free and bearing all the fruit of the kingdom in one week. <laughs> and you know what God is trying to tell us? He says, don't worry about the fruit. That's my responsibility. You go sow seed. You do good works. You just bless those who know me, bless those who don't know me. Bless, bless the church and bless those who are outside of the church. You just be a blessing. And as you continue to be a blessing, I take care of the fruit. I take care of the fruit. God wants a church who's going to change the world. Not because they're seed watching, but because they're doing the work of the kingdom. They're giving, they're spending themselves, they're spending their energy, they're grabbing a hold of kingdom vision for their lives, and they're moving forward for the greater good, for the, great, for the kingdom of God. And so as we close today, I want to remind you, it takes perseverance to do the good work God has called us to do. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. I want to talk to you about one of my personal heroes. This man is an absolute hero in my eyes. His name is Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson was born in 1919 and passed away in 1972. He was born to a child of a former slave. Her mother wanted to have a free life and a desire to offer her sons, her kids, a better life. And so she decided to leave the South to move to the North in hopes that they would have greater freedom and greater opportunities. You see, even though slavery had ended and uh, segregation was still a reality, she knew that in the South, the wages for African Americans was so low that it was basically institutional, in a sense, slavery. And so she would try to get out, but also throughout the times in the South in certain parts, they would control the transportation to try to keep African Americans within that region so that they would be forced basically cheap labor. But she said no. And she escaped where she lived so that she can offer her family a better life. And in the midst of that reality that she lived in, she had one of the most humblest attitudes that we can ever hear about. She raised her kids to have this attitude, and this is the attitude. Love your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. And when you're attacked, turn the other cheek. 
Oftentimes, if she had her home in a white neighborhood, it is said that they would burn crosses on her lawn or, or, or do all kinds of things to try to leave, get her to leave that home. And at one point, Jackie was so upset that he went and he did some vandalism to someone's yard. His mother found out about it, took him to the house, said, apologize, and I'm going to supervise you, make sure that this looks better than the way you found it. She taught her son, you be a blessing to those who persecute you. You turn your cheek. He grew to be an incredibly gifted athlete. He lettered in basketball, in football, in track, and in baseball. Throughout his high school career, there was no athlete in America that compared to his accomplishments, yet he was not recognized. He served in the military. At one point, he was accused of drunkenness and ill behavior on a bus when he never drank liquor in his life. And often he found himself fighting for what he felt was his rights, angry because of his rights. And often the Lord put him in those situations because God was preparing him for what was to come. He was an excellent baseball player, and there was a man by the name of Branch Ricky who had a vision greater than himself and his resources. He managed the Brooklyn Dodgers, and he said to himself, I want to break the racial barrier. I want to do whatever it takes to break the racial barrier. He says, I'm looking for the first black man that can play baseball. And he has to be an exceptional athlete with an exceptional character, able to withstand all kinds of abuse. So begins to, he begins to look at, the, of Jack, at Jackie Robinson and kind of just uh, recruit him per se. And Jackie Robinson is under the belief that he's being recruited to play in what was known at the time as the Negro Leagues, the Baseball Negro Leagues. And he thought that the Brooklyn Dodgers were trying to start uh, a team where he could play for. But ultimately, he lands in Branch Rickey's office, and Branch Rickey look, looks at Jackie Robinson and says, you know why you're here today, right? Jackie says, yeah, to play for your Negro League. But Branch said, no, you're here because I want you to be the first black man to play in the Major League Baseball. He said, a white, you want me to play in a white man's league? He says, no, I want you to do more than play. I want you to turn the other cheek. I want you to be insulted. I want you to be able to stand in the midst of trial. When people say this and this and that, and reports say that he laid it on him for a good half hour. They're going to call you this. They're going to call you that. They're going to say this about your mother. They're going to say this about you. I'm not just looking for an exceptional athlete. I'm looking for someone who would turn the cheek and would change sports forever. Jackie said, there he looked at him. He says, this white man is crazy. But he thought to himself, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to hurt. But if I do this, I not only change the sport, but I give freedom and possibilities to my people in a way that they've never known before. So he said yes. And baseball was forever changed. Would you stand with me today?
Praise God. God's looking at you and I. And he's saying this, I'm looking for world changers. I'm looking for world changers. I'm looking for revivalists. I'm looking for people who will walk in my resurrection power. People who will change the course of America forever. People who will change the course of the world forever. People who will make such an impact for my kingdom that my name would be glorified. I'm not just looking for people who would play church maintenance. I'm not just looking for people who are incredible in their gifting or feel like they have something to offer. No, I'm looking for people who are willing to serve. I'm looking for people who are willing to die. I'm looking for people who say, with a reckless abandonment, I will give myself for the possibilities of the kingdom. I will say yes, even if it costs me my life, because I know that it is worth it. So today I call you. And I ask you, will you be a world changer for Jesus? Would you commit yourself? Would you commit your strength? Would you commit your resources to whatever the Holy Spirit is saying, go to? You say, Lord, I say yes to you. And I say no to me, I say yes to you. Let's close our eyes. Let's come to the Lord today. Father, we thank you for who you are today. And Lord, today, we don't want to grow weary of doing good. Today, we don't want to invest ourselves in the things that don't matter. Today, we want to give our lives to a cause greater than ourselves. As we used to say many years before, we want to be a generation possessed with a cause to die for. We want to be a generation possessed with a cost to die for. We want to give, live, and die for the kingdom. We want to say yes to you. Yes, Lord. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, I, uh, I want to respond to that today. I realized that the investment of my time, of my finances, and my energy, and my gifts is not really in the right place. And today I want to say, Lord, I want to yield my life. I want to give you my life. I want to sow my life into your kingdom. Have your way. If that's you right now, would you join me at the altar right now? You're here today and you're saying, I want to sow my life into the kingdom. I want to sow my best, my strength, my all into the kingdom. I want to love sacrificially. I want to lead us a servant. I want to say yes to the call of God. I realize today that there is some alignment that needs to take place in me to come to the altar, to respond to God. Let's respond to God. Let's respond. Maybe you're here today and you're looking for direction. And you're just saying, Lord, here I am. I am willing for you to tell me what to do for you. I want to have ears to hear and eyes to see, and I, I'm just looking for direction. Direct me, and I will follow your lead. You feel at this point like you're welcoming God to give you some guidance. 
Would you just come to the altar right now? We'd love to pray with you. That the Lord will lead you, direct you, give you clarity from Him. Amen. Would you come to the altar? We'd love to pray with you. Amen. Let me bless you as we dismiss right now. We're, we're gonna, the altar workers, I'd like for you to come and help me pray here at the altar. We're going to be praying here. But let me bless you, church, as you move forward. Change the world in the power of the Holy Spirit. Turn your cheek. Bless those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Be salt and light. Greater is he that is in you than him that's in the world. Be the revolution. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. The altars are open. If you need prayers, we'd love to pray with you. His breath.